welcome everyone out to the podcast today. On today's podcast, we have Dave Webb joining us again today. Say hello, Dave. Hello. On today's podcast, we're going to be tackling a very, very difficult subject, the subject of predestination slash free will. The purpose of today's podcast is to try to cover a little bit of territory, answer a few questions such as, do human beings have free will? What is free will? And to what extent, if any, is it exercised by the human being? To start with today, I want to read from Romans 8, verses 29 through 30. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now to start off with, Dave, the first thing we want to do is let's define the word predestined. The word predestined means to predetermine or to decide beforehand. So the subject here is, does everything that happens in a person's life uh, get predetermined, pre-planned by God? Now, obviously, the easy answer to this question of does God know everything? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes, he, he, knows, he knows everything. The reason why this gets tricky, Dave, is a lot of people don't like the idea that God knew that something bad was going to happen in their life, and He allowed it to happen. Some people get really, really tore up about the idea that God did not prevent anything bad from happening, and not only did He not prevent it, but He predetermined it. He not only allowed it, He orchestrated it. Yes. allowed it to happen. It was part of his plan. So, boy, what a great way to start a podcast, right? Boy, let's just jump right into it. What, where do we, where do we want to start, Dave? Where do we want to start when we talk about this? Because we've already uh, brought out the big guns, the big guns. Does God know everything before it happens? Yes, he does. That means the bad things too. Right. So where we have to go right out of the gate, is if God knows everything, even the bad things, orchestrates, allows them to happen, then for what purpose, what reason, why would he allow those things to happen? Uh, The Bible says it's for our greater good. He does things for our good. Uh, The people that uh, he knows is going to turn to him and his son, accept his son, well, they're going to be, uh, you know, completely taken care of in the, in the end. I think the problem with people not understanding this is is control. There, there's a lack, total lack of control mm. on our part. God has all the control. God knows what's going on. And um, instead of trusting Him and just allowing things to happen and knowing that they are for the best because we, we love God and we love His Son, uh, we fight against it. And uh, we're fighting against God's will, and that's basically rebellion. Well, when, when something happens in someone's life, and, and my goodness, I know that there are some horrible things 
that have happened in people's lives, some terrible things. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but when you look around the world today, there are a lot of broken people who have endured some unbelievably terrible oh, yes. uh, circumstances. But when, when we as a church look around and we see the lives that God has, has uh, shown His mercy, or people that God has shown His mercy and grace to, and lives that have been restored, and people who are being restored. What I mean by restored is that God is working in their lives, and He is bringing them out of the darkness that they were in. By darkness, I mean the, the pain, the suffering, the heartache. Right. And He has shown them His mercy, His grace, His goodness. When they go and talk to somebody who is in a similar situation or someone who has gone through a traumatic experience, a painful uh, place in life, they now are not just sharing in the pain that the person has gone through. Now they are bringing hope into this person's circumstance, their situation, and showing them, listen, I, I may not know exactly what you're going through. Although some people will be able to look at someone and say, I know exactly how you feel because I was there 10 years ago. Yes. And now having seen what God has done in my life, I can tell you not only that he is able to do the same for you that he has done for me, not meaning he goes back and takes away the circumstances, the, the, the issues, the struggles, the pains, the heartaches, the the uh, the abuse, whatever it may be, but that he is able to heal us from that abuse. So now you have a, a human being, an individual, a person who has been redeemed, and restored, and is now able to go out and share that testimony with somebody else about what God has done in their life. And that because of the same love that he has shown to them that he has for this other individual, they know that he is able to do that for them as well. And now that other individual has an opportunity to have a, a, a window, a, 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 a glimpse into the mercy and the grace of God in the testimony and the witness of this other person. So now, now we see that the bad that happened in one person's life is now a witness and a testimony that is shared with another individual. So the pain that they endured now becomes a testimony about how God has helped them through that. Does that make, make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it brought to mind so many different things. Um, I mean, it's, it's such, such well said said verse there. Uh, what, I, what I'm getting at here is if it weren't for the, and I, and I want to be very careful how I, I say this, I don't want to, I, I certainly don't want to patronize and I also don't want to insult uh, someone's pain, but when you see how that someone's struggled, their, their pain that they've gone through. Right. As difficult as it was for them and as, as hard as that was for them, when they get on the other side of it, 
and by the other side, I mean the healing, the deliverance, the, 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 the restoration that God produces, then they're able now to take that pain, that, 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 that I don't know what you call it, but that, that power. You know, have you ever been hurt really bad? You know how powerful that is. It can debilitate sure. you. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to eat. Controls your life. It controls your life. Um, that same energy, that same power, is now being directed in the opposite direction. Instead of it being, you know, internalized in me in pain and sorrow, now that it, that power is coming out and going out to people, you know, that I come in contact with, and I'm able to share the testimony of how God brought me out of that. It likens back, and I'm making an illusion here. I don't know if you picked up on it. It's very similar to when Jesus goes to the cross and suffers and dies, goes into the grave. And then when he comes out of the grave... On the other side. On the other side. Now look at what he's, what he's, what he's doing and what he's, what he's telling his, his disciples to go and do. So it's the, the testimony of coming back from, from the dead, from, from the pain, from the heartache. Right, God has used that as a that's a perfect example of how God uses uh, the pain and the heartache and the problem and so forth right. to spread His message and exactly. to achieve His purposes. And yes, it's just it's it's amazing. I had one a story uh, that came to mind that I saw uh, one time a, a plane crashed out in California. Small plane crashed into a house, and it killed a, a small child. I think it was. And the parent uh, came out, uh, I mean, shortly after this happened, and they interviewed the parent on TV. And the parent said, uh, you know, I'm at perfect peace. I don't know why this happened, but I trust God that uh, my child is, is in his arms right now and, uh, and that everything is just fine. And this person showed unbelievable peace that peace that passes all understanding. They had it. To me, mm -hmm. you know, you can't judge anybody, but to me, it looked like this man, This person's a true believer. It was sincere. Is what sincere, perfectly sincere. I mean, they, they just lost their child in a, in a plane crash, not, you know, a few minutes to hours earlier. And, and here they were, could talk about it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and not have that humongous pain and regret. And that may have happened so that, who knows, thousands or millions of people could have yeah. seen that and said, oh, wow, you know, how do you go through that? You know, I, I need to find out more about this. That's similar to the, to the parent that speaks in court and asks the judge to have mercy on the individual that, that, that murdered their child. Absolutely. Where there's... God's the judge. Well, here, here, here's, here's uh, something I wanted to, to, to bring up. Now, think about... Think about this. Every single human being that is alive or has ever lived has been coerced, right? They have, they, all human beings are under the influence of something. They're either under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, which is Lucifer, the devil. Right. And that influence is darkness. Or they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings us out of the darkness into the light. Now you think about this. 
on a daily basis, how many advertisements does the normal, you know, the average human being encounter? If you're on, uh, there's no way to escape advertisements. You know that. Right. Right? I don't know that you can even like, count them. <laughs> I don't. I don't watch now. I don't watch television because I'm super righteous and super holy. Um, I don't watch television because I'm super frugal and I can get a better deal on streaming services than I can on a digital or on a satellite dish or something like that. So um, it, it's it's frugality, not not holiness. But if I'm if I'm on Netflix or I'm on Disney or I'm on Hulu or whatever, or if I'm on YouTube, how many ads do you see? Now I know people will say, well, on Netflix and Disney and those places, you don't see ads. You don't see ads? Are you not scrolling through a list of a million movies and they're all popping up little short clips and trailers to try to draw your attention? Yeah, you're be- it's, being, it's being advertised. You are seeing the bright colors, the, the storyline that is written in the bio or in the intro of the movie is, is trying to sell you on the movie. Listen, this is going to be an incredible movie. And there have been many times that I've read the, the, um, the bio on the movie or read the little, little, little blurb about what it's about. And I'm thinking, yeah, man, I'm going to give this a shot. Three minutes into it, I'm like, man, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. They made <laughs> this sound like times, it yeah. was going to be great. And it was horrible. And how many times have you bought a product because of the infomercial or because of the advertisement and you said, man, that's what I need. And you go and get it. It's a joke. The, the, pro, the product is no count. But they had an incredible marketing campaign. There have been many movies in our time. Dave, you've been around before cinema was. But we... <laughs> sorry, guys. For those of you listening to the podcast that don't know, Dave is the butt of many of my old man jokes. It's okay. Is, it's okay. Dave's only like 15 years older than me. So I don't know why I do it, but I do. So in our lifetime, we have witnessed many, 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 many films that have come out that had an unbelievable budget, right? They go over budget on the film, but they don't care because this is going to be a billion-dollar movie. They have an, an marketing campaign to end all marketing campaigns, and there is so much hype. There are every t- talk show, every late-night show, everywhere, all over social media, they're just talking about how great this movie is going to be. It's going to be the best movie ever, and then the movie absolutely flops, I mean, it's horrible. It's pathetic. It's so terrible. But all of this time, I've been I've been sold this bill of goods, t- telling me that this is going to be the greatest movie ever. You've got to see it. You've got to buy the action figure. You've got to buy the underwear. You got to get this stuff, man. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. Yes. But it turns out to be an incredible, incredible, not a blockbuster, but you know, just a total, total loss. It wasn't true. All of the hype, all the buildup wasn't true. Now, you think about the way that God testifies, represents himself. The world wants to paint a picture that everything is great. Boy, if you just elect me, I'll end all your problems. Right? If and we you, see how that turns out. Yes. If, if you can just get the right person in office, if you hire the right individual... If you can just marry the right spouse, you know, the perfect one that everybody is, you know, (laughs) trying to find. Right. You know what I mean? That perfect one. And then when they turn out to not be perfect, we we divorce them, we move on, and we we find, you know what I mean here, where I'm going. We've been sold this bill of goods that is not true. 
God does not hide anything, nothing about how things are in this life. This life is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to go according to plan. And God does not hide the fact that it is in our pain that we find him. It is in our struggle where he finds us. It's in our difficulty. Right. It's in it's in the the difficult moments in life where we truly come to know him and where we truly find out who he is. Think about it like this. In this world, when you are successful, everyone wants to be around you. But when you're not, where is everybody? In Christ, whether I'm on top of the mountain or I'm in the bottom of the valley, he's with me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you even to the ends of the earth. David said, if I make my bed in hell, the grave, there you are. I cannot escape your presence. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. I don't know what better advertisement there is for the love of God than that. But you can't know that until you experience that. No. No, that's true. Every single time that a person follows hard after the advertisements of the world, it fails. This world can't satisfy me. It never has. It never will. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Everything that is has always has already been, and everything is vanity. Right. Everything uh, is empty. I saw this uh, program on TV the other night about, uh, uh, it's called Colosseum. They, mm. they talked about the old Roman Colosseums and some of the uh, Roman uh, uh, emperors that would do these different things. And it also talked about how the Roman people would go to these, would go to the Colosseum to see all these death matches, these people killed and blood and all this kind of stuff. But they would buy these little trinkets and things like that, figurines of their favorite uh, gladiators <laughs> or something like that. You know, people think that these advertisements and these uh, pushing <laughs> these things off right. on people are uh, right. a current thing. Well, they're not. It's been there all along, all through history. <laughs> Right. And and it just kind of boggled my mind that these people were all buying up all these little trinkets and uh, figurines and action figures, <laughs> all these kind of things back in the Roman days. And, uh, you know, we don't think anything about like stuff like that. No, it's, it's everything throughout time has been an advertisement to try to make the flesh more appealing, to make man more powerful and better. Man created his own pantheon of gods in an affront, in an effort, and in an affront to the God of heaven and earth. These were gods whom men could control. Now, they created gods that would do things, thunder, lightning, storms, floods, that were out of their control. But it was man's way of explaining those things. Instead, the anger of the gods. Right. Instead of simply accepting the truth of the one true God. And the way that God has revealed himself to humanity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. So when God sent his son into the world, Jesus did not come to this earth 
in a royal chariot. You know, he did not come. Uh, what I mean by that is he didn't live in a royal palace. Quite literally, Jesus was born to two modestly poor individuals. Who, yes. Remember, his father, Joseph, is not his father in the sense that he produced Jesus. So now Jesus is the bastard son of this irreverent named woman, Mary. So this is the home he's born into. Jesus did not live a superstar, rock star life. He lived in the home of a carpenter. So what do you think he did with his time? You know? So here he is when he gets to his, around his 30s and he begins his ministry. So for 30 years, you know Jesus is teaching because, or is, is able to teach because he was... Right, at 12 years old. Yeah, right, he's talking with the folks in the in the temple and freaking them out, you know. And man, how in the world is this kid able to talk this way? So when Jesus begins his ministry, think about how things go for him. The very people who he is trying to correct the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who should be teaching the people about the love of God, instead are teaching them about legalism and trying to put them in chains and stone them and execute them for their sins and their misdeeds, while the very Son of God who could execute these Pharisees for their misdeeds (laughs) is instead showing mercy and grace. So for the three-plus years of Jesus' ministry, what does he do? Does he hold giant conferences where he collects massive amounts of money so that he can build his $28 million waterfront home because of the blessing and prosperity of God? He tells us to uh, love each other the way he loved us. Oh, oh. During those three years, it was nothing but love. Mm. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, God's love, and he sent Jesus as love, and... and, uh, it's just truly amazing to me the abuse and the and the okay. rejection and all that kind of stuff now, that, that he took. Now the the verbal abuse, the verbal rejection, the feeling of being unloved and unwanted by the people. He felt that his whole life. But he still showed love back. Right. You never hear of him being physically assaulted, physically assaulted. I mean, for the purpose of harm, because if if someone had gone to uh, beat Jesus up. I, I, please understand, I'm not being <laughs> irreverent here. Just hear me out. If someone were to go for the purpose of roughing Jesus up to beat him up, imagine the swell of anger that would rise up among the people, and he would have been murdered. Remember, there were a couple of occasions where Jesus slipped through the crowd or where Jesus removed himself from the crowd because of what, what would have happened had he been there. Right. So, The purpose of that was God was waiting to pour out His wrath, the judgment on our sin. He was holding that back until the time, uh, until the time was right, which was when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's falsely arrested, falsely accused, falsely tried, and and falsely uh, uh, sentenced to death by false. I mean, unjustly is what I meant. Not Unjustly, unjustly. He's falsely accused and unjustly condemned. It was then that you begin to see the Romans and the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, all of the earth, 
reveal their disdain and their, their disgust for Jesus. Why was that, Dave? Because Jesus was not what they thought a king would be. Okay. Now, what does Jesus do? Does he lift up his hand to defend himself? No. Does he raise a fist to fight back? No. Does he even say anything? No, the Bible says, As a sheep led before his shears is silent, Jesus did not say a word. Why? Because it was the, it was the time. It was the right thing to happen. This needed to happen. It was the will of his it Father. It was the will of his Father. And what happened? They brutally, brutally torture and abuse him. He is then unceremoniously paraded through the streets naked, flesh hanging from his body. He is a beaten and tattered mess. He is, I don't even know how to say, he, he's, he's insulted. They're hurling insults at him, plucking the beard out of his insults face. Insults a nice way of saying they're, it, I know, guess. They're spitting on him. And here he is, bleeding profusely, beaten to a pulp, flesh hanging from his body, and he's carrying my cross down that dusty road for the purpose of going and laying down his life, literally laying down his life when he lays himself on the cross, is nailed to the cross, thrown into the ground, lifted up for all men to see. And Jesus said, unless I be lifted up, unless I be, I'm, I must be lifted up in order that all men might be drawn unto me. Yes. There he hangs, not until he's done. Not, 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 don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't God. What I mean by this is in his flesh, Jesus being a man, think about when you've been really, really tired and you said, okay, I can't go anymore, right? And then someone looks at you at the gym and says, come on, you big sissy, keep going, keep going. And you find that extra fuel in your tank and you keep pushing a little harder. I don't know that any of us would be able to tell the tale of the exhaustion, right, and the depletion that Jesus is feeling because he is literally at the brink of death. Literally at the brink of death. But yet he hangs there longer. And, and he doesn't hang there until he's done. He waits until the Father says... Now, you understand what I'm saying here. Yes, he's God. I'm not saying he doesn't know. But in the, fl the flesh wanted to give up. No doubt, human being, any human being would have wanted to give up. Yes. But he had to wait until the Father said, I'm satisfied. And then, and then Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? And then he eventually utters the words, it is finished. I'm done. I've accomplished it. I've suffered. He gives up the ghost and he dies. Or he, you know, commends his spirit to the Father. So... It is at that point that humanity has seen the darkest of days. Here, the Son of God has, has just bled and died. Yeah, it's unimaginable. Unfathomable. Darkness covers the, the earth. I mean, I know there was an eclipse, but are you kidding me? Of course it was. What great darkness. In that moment, it appears that the plan of God, the, the, the mercy, the grace of God has failed to produce anything good. So now it looks like the enemy's plan, his advertisement, man has conquered God. All mankind, Roman, Jews, Gentiles, everybody. We've conquered God. And there for three days, Jesus is in the tomb. And then on the third day, oh, Jesus' body is in the tomb, I say. On the third day, he rises again. He's out of the tomb. 
What an incredible, unbelievable description of the love of God and the power of God, right? Yes. It's, 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 that's what I was talking about earlier with Jesus' is love, God is love. Right. I mean, that's, you can't show it any more than that. I mean, it's, what he suffered was, was truly incredible. Now, the, the direction we go from here, um, let, me, let me read to you from, we, we read Romans 8, 29 through 30 earlier. I'm going to read it again. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God knows everything. Okay, we're just going to go, at, there's no questioning that. Right. He is omniscient. He knows all. There is nothing hidden from him, and we'll read about that more here in a little bit, but there's absolutely nothing that he does not know. Human beings do not like being in the dark about anything. Do you know why gossip is so popular? Because people want to know things. Do you know why those wretched, horrible, filthy gossip magazines uh, and, 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 and websites... And, sell like and, crazy. They sell like crazy because people want to know things they're not supposed to know. They want to know things that other people have tried to keep hidden. We want to know everything. But we don't know everything. And we won't know everything. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Not conformed to the image of man. Not to the image of the world, not to the advertisement that the world gives, but rather to the image of his son. I just told you the image of his son. You just, just very just, graphically just, told us. Yes, graphically described The image it. of his son. This is the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So now we are called the brothers of Christ, meaning those who, like Christ, we are born of God. Jesus was born Have of God. Have you ever thought about that much? That That's... Truly incredible to me that I could be considered a, a, brother, a brother of, of Christ. Yes, a that's, brother. <laughs> and a, a son of God. And a son, a, that's it. That's, that's, that's where I was going. That's the son of God. Amazing. And daughters, right? sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here's where I want to go with this. Now, I want to go back and read Romans 8, verse 28, and tie this together. We know that all those, that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. His purpose. According to His purpose. Now, when you read 29 through 30, what is His purpose in calling us? That we might be conformed to the image of His Son... I am crucified with Christ. That's what, that's what Paul writes. I am crucified with Christ. Yes. Nevertheless, I live. Think about that. Conformed to the image of his son. Crucified, but yet I live. I, that The believer is literally just like conformed, Jesus. To, just like Jesus. Therefore, we are his brothers and sisters. Those whom he predestined, he also called. I didn't go to him, he came to me. Paul is a good example. Oh, yeah. Paul was called. Paul was so lost at one time, and he 
literally he was called. I mean, quite literally. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not saying he was that called exactly by either, Jesus. Yeah, when you yeah, yeah, when you read his story, he's on his way to commit sin. When Jesus tells him, "Hey, why are you fighting against me, there, big guy? Why are you doing this? It's been awful, awful hard to kick against those pricks of mine, isn't it, man?" But didn't so, but didn't Paul think he was doing the right thing? Oh yeah. Did he think he, he yes. was in control and because doing the will of God and all yeah. this kind of he stuff? He was conformed to the image of this world. Now listen, there are two types of worldly image, and I want to address this really quick, and then we're gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to be ugly for too long here because I'm gonna get a little ugly. So prepare yourselves, uh, big girls, big boys. Here we go. There are two types of images in this world. There is the image of sin and the image of righteousness. Let me explain. Don't throw stones just yet. This world paints a picture of uninhibited, carnal passion. Chase whatever you want. Be whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Vegas, Sin City, all this kind of yes, stuff. Yes, yes. Vegas and Sin City. That's right. The enemy is behind that. Do you know what else the enemy is behind? The self-righteous, sanctimonious, unbelievable arrogance of an unsaved, quote-unquote, church. There is no such thing as you and I being good enough to be better than anyone else. What the devil does is he takes those who are unabashedly proud of their sin and those who feel they are self-righteous, and he has those two, those two separate groups fighting against one another, and everyone else is caught in between it. When there's no difference between when the two. When there is no difference between the two. Goodness gracious, I've been talking about advertisements. I'm going to make one really quick. This Sunday, <laughs> we're going to be preaching a message swept from Luke chapter 6, where Jesus talks about a person who has a demon within them. The demon leaves and goes about to other dry places, searching a place to rest. While the demon is gone, the individual has swept their home, cleaned it up, moved some new furniture in, made it really comfy and cozy and wonderful, right? But then the demon comes back and finds, hey, man, this place is really fixed up. Let me go get seven more of my buddies, and we'll have ourselves a, a party here. There are people who think that they are righteous. They're not. That think they are Christians. They're not. Who think they are the authority on all things moral. Listen, when the Son of God stood in front of the Pharisees, he said to them, if you knew the Father you would know me. He said, in effect, there is no dif difference between you and the Gentile. Neither one of you know me. But you're about to find out who I am. I'm going to reveal to you who I am. So today, there exists the Gentile and the Jew. Those who think they are self-righteous is what I mean. The Pharisaical Jews. That I don't mean all Jews, of course. And I don't mean that all Gentiles are wild and crazy you know, no, no, uh, rabble-rousers. But I'm talking about everything in between those two major pivot parts, those two major bookends. That there are many today who think they are righteous that are not. And you can tell they're not righteous because they're not conformed to the image of Jesus. They're not crucified with Christ. They're very much alert and aware and fighting. I'm going to fight back against sin. The only way for you and I to fight against sin and win is to, allow ourselves, is to allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ. That's the only way for us to have victory over sin. I can't fight back against it. I can't do enough good. 
because and it says so. Those whom he predestined, he also called, and he justified them. He justified them. They didn't justify themselves. Right. They were called by God, and then he justified them. So that means that they were there was nothing to justify themselves with before he called them. And then when he called them, he justified them. Once again, Paul's a perfect example. Exactly. I mean, he went to he went to the Jews after he had converted and so forth, and yes. and they didn't. Of course, they didn't trust him. Mm-hmm. Here comes in the guy that's been killing everybody that we know, <laughs> you know, friends and relatives and all this kind of stuff. And we're supposed to say, "Welcome, brother." Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know about that. Well, God justified Paul mm-hmm. and gave him the right words to say and the knowledge that he mm-hmm. needed, and they had to say, "Yes, you're." You're from God. But those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, here, here's where I want us to go with this. When you and I were called by God, we were justified, saved, we're born again. Yeah. He, he loved me when he didn't have to. He made me new when he didn't have to. Those whom he predestined, he called, he justified, and he glorified. Think about it like this. When you and I become a believer in Jesus Christ, we receive what? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then begins to go about doing the the deep cleaning go into our lives and, and go back through all the file folders and through all of the closets and all of the right. the cubbards. It's and not it's not uh, do it yourself. It's uh it's the Holy Spirit doing the it. The Holy you. Spirit doing it, but he's he's combing through those areas that no one else has access to. And he's beginning to work on us and we're starting to see changes. I mean you think about the testimony of someone who is a drug addict and now they've that God has worked in their life and they're not only no longer are they abusing drugs, but they are doing all they can to reach out and be a light and a witness to those who are currently involved in addiction. You think about those who were at one time known for being adulterers or being uh, fornicators and how God has worked in their life and has turned things around. Those who were practitioners of witchcraft, those who were caught up in homosexuality, those that were caught up in lying and cheating and stealing, right? And how God has turned their lives around, right? And now they are following the Lord. They are, not only are they following the Lord, I mean, let me rephrase that, but they are a light and a testimony for Him. Well, that's not them. That's the Holy Spirit working in them. Right. And what is that doing? It's glorifying the Lord. It's glorifying yes. God and what He's done. Here's what I mean. John 6 uh, and, and 44. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. I was not drawn to God because I was scared to death. I was not drawn to God because... I was terrified or I had something happen that, that just, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm just scared to death. It was not the terror of the Lord that drew me to him. It was his love. Yes, I'm aware that God is going to judge all men and women who have failed to, to 
to to to receive Christ and who have not right. been been born again. I get that. I, I'm I'm fine. With, People I'm not, don't even realize that that you're going to be judged and yeah. I'm going to be judged. Yes, I'm fine with that theologically for different for different way. Purpose. But yes, uh, yeah. I have no problem with that. No no problem whatsoever. I get that. But what I'm saying to you is, it was not the the it was not the fear that produced salvation. It was his love. It was his love. What drew me to him? His spirit. But what did his spirit show me? His love. I saw it. I see it today. I still see it. When I came to the Lord, it was because of his love. When, when, let me read it this here again. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his what? Son. His son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many what brothers, brothers. a part of the family. When Jesus is baptized, when he when he comes up out of the water, what do we see? This 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 dove descend from heaven, and we hear a voice. And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son, in whom. Can I'm you imagine hearing that? <laughs> well pleased means love. This is my son, whom I love completely and fully. And that's what he says to you and me. The minute, and what does baptism represent? Baptism is not this, oh, brother, I tell you right now, if you ain't been baptized, you ain't going to heaven. <laughs> well, brother, I'm telling you right now, you don't understand baptism. Baptism is a symbolic representation of what happens when I am crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live. Brother, when you go in them waters, that sin gets washed off you. No, no, sin gets washed off of me. Brother, that sin was washed off of me the minute that I received the mercy and grace of God. I was justified in that moment. I was, it was as if I had never sinned. I was justified. And I am being justified still to this day because I regularly, regularly, the Lord has to wash me and forgive me. When I go into those baptismal waters and I come up, it is me saying, I was once lost. It's a public it's a public statement. It, it, is, a, it, is. it is a public statement. It, is, it bears absolutely no uh, uh, weight in terms of whether or not I'm saved or not saved, whether or not I'm going to heaven or not going to heaven, because I can't tell you how many people have been dunked in that pool that are not going to go to heaven. I'm afraid that's a sad statement, but... Uh... It... it it is sad, but true. It was not the fear of God that saved me. It was the love of God that saved me. The Bible says, Knowing then the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because you and I know the judgment that's coming, we want to do all we can to get them to, to, to hear about and see the love of God. But what better way for someone to see and hear about the love of God than to see and hear about it through our experiences. Not the experiences of one who is terrified and fearful of their father, but rather one who knows that they are perfectly loved by the father. Yeah, I love it when God talks in the Bible about himself. I mean, that's, that's such, such power and such love and such... I mean, I, I can't imagine... I mean, to me, the greatest, the greatest fear, the greatest terrible thing there is out there in the world is not death or anything else it's being separated from god mm -hmm. 
I mean, he's everything. He created time. He created the universe. He created everything. How could we ever be separated from him? That's, that's a perfect segue, Dave. When I was a little boy, I used to do this thing that a lot of kids do. Or when I was in Kmart or Walmarts, <laughs> I like to go and hide in the clothes racks and prank my mom. That's every little boy. <laughs> yeah. But then my mom would be like, all right, man, I'll catch you later. She'd go around the corner. I'd be freaking out. Do you know how many times I had to go up to the cat to the front front service desk and be like, I can't find my mama. Right? I'm yep. crying like you a were little left. baby. I was terrified to terrified. think Terrified. Scared that, to death. That, yeah. Now there were there were probably a you know, fifty people standing there in that store that would have would have taken me in, adopted me, and loved me like their own. But they weren't the ones I was looking for. It was my mom or my dad. Think about this. Well, let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I'm going to read several verses here, 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our brother, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world was laid, we were already predestined to be his children that we should be holy and blameless before him. Is this not exactly what we just read here in Romans 8, 29 through 30? Yeah, exactly. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved meaning in the group of those who were saved. Yes. So before the foundation of the world was laid, we were already chosen and in love. Now, this is the key. This is the turning point in this conversation. It is impossible for the unbeliever to understand predestination because they don't know the love of God. If you don't know the love of God, you can't know God. John said... You Christian, who say you are a Christian, but you do not love, you're not a Christian. Because God is love. You're just clanging cymbals, you're, making yes. a lot of noise, not That's doing right. anything. Exactly. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. That's a good Father. In all wisdom and insight, why are we lavished with forgiveness and the riches of His grace? So that we can go and tell the story. He, 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 orchest, he, he allows these things to transpire for the purpose of bringing about his will. His, or his, his, the testimony of his goodness. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. You Say that again. That, that just hit me. His, his plan... In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. He created time. Yes. He yes. set it out there. Yes. He planned yes. this whole thing. Exactly. And he says when it's over, when it, when it begins and when it's over and, and the whole deal. It's all about him. I mean, I don't know why people don't understand that. Here, Well, you have to know him to understand him. And the only way to understand him is to know him. And he've, he's made himself known to to uh to you and I. Now, are there people who will not come to know Jesus Christ? Yes, there are. 
And that pains me to say that. I don't know who they are. That's the problem with the self-righteous, sanctimonious crowd. They think they know who is and who isn't going to heaven, who's righteous and who's not righteous. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, you can hate me and dislike me all you want to, but I'm telling you the truth when I say this. Those same people who say they know who is and who is not are the very ones that should be having some really strong reflection time and or really deep reflection time, some strong conversations with themselves because it appears to me that through their denial of the access of salvation and grace that's freely given to all, that they have not crossed over that river themselves because if they had, they would know that it was by grace and through faith that they're, through faith, or you, you know what I mean, yeah. by grace through faith <laughs> that they're saved, not through their own works. So, it's not anything other than His love that has opened the door for you and I to be saved and born again. I don't know who is and who is not going to be saved and who is not, who is and who is not going to be born again. He does. I don't. And He's not given me the insight to know who will and who will not. He simply told me to love all of those who I come in contact with and to try my best to be a light to them. And I can only talk to you about things that I've gone through and that I've experienced myself with the power and the authority that, I, that, that, that only a, an experience can give. A quote that I will always remember and always stays with me, and I repeat this. I've probably said this on, podcast, on a podcast already. But a man with a theory is always at the mercy of a man with an experience. People don't want to hear what you think. They want to hear what you felt. And when you tell them what you have felt, ah, there's a power there. Once again, that's why the addicts and the recovery people, all those kind of things are so powerful because Mm -hmm. they've been through something. They've really felt that change in their life and Mm -hmm. uh, what it's had. And that doesn't mean that that you and I couldn't be a light to someone uh, who's going through a situation that we did not go through. But when we talk about the mercy and grace of God... I don't know why we want to cover up and hide. Yeah. Well, brother, since I've come to Jesus, I don't, I don't even think about what I come from in the past. And I've let all, I'm a righteous son of God, and I want to talk about his righteousness. You know what I want to tell you about? I want to tell you that I was a, 15, a 14-year-old who was about to be a daddy. And I could never explain to you how this happened. I'm laying in my bed, and the Holy Spirit is working on me. And I said to the Lord, if you love me the way that, they, that, that I hear you do, I need you to show me. Cast all of your care upon me because I care for you. That was the verse. I said, if you love me like that, I need you to show me. I began to bawl like a baby. I didn't ask God to get me out of this mess. I said, God, make me a man. Let me be what I need to be so that I can be a dad. And help, these are the exact words I said. Lord, I want to tell as many people as I can about what you've done for me. He hadn't done anything in that moment. Well, I wasn't even a father yet. I mean, mean, you know what I mean by that. The baby wasn't born yet. I had not yet become or began to act as a father. Okay, time out. Let Let me rephrase that. What I mean is when the Holy Spirit began to move in me, drawing me to Jesus. Yes. I'm talking within a few seconds, or I mean within a few minutes. I'm, I'm weeping. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm calling out to the Lord. I'm just having this moment where I'm just fully loved. 
and I say, God, I want to tell as many people as I can about what you've done for me. Not what he did when he made me a father and I was, you know, able to be, you know, a, a, you know, no dad thinks they're good. That we all have issues, the things we wish we had done differently with our children. We, you know, we all have those, you know, it's life. But in that moment, the only thing I had experienced was one thing, his love. So what was my response? I want, I want to tell as many people about this love that you have shown me as I possibly can. Now that got me into a lot of trouble in my early days of preaching, and sometimes it still does today, because I still want to tell people about the love of God. And I know we're supposed to tell them how to be perfect and how to vote the right way and how to not vote for this one and how to do this and do that and stand, you know, stand outside the church and don't want to allow anybody bad to come in. And we're supposed to keep the church pure and holy and righteous. And if we did that, I'd have to ask everyone to leave on Sunday. And then I would leave too, because none of us is holy and righteous and worthy of being. Not at all. But the reason that I think you've done so well with, with, uh, and I, I think you're a great preacher. I have to say it again. I, I really do. You're a great preacher and teacher. Dave, but I, I think money, the brother. reason that you cash. are is no because that uh, God, God called you, okay? He had given you these talents, and you were willing to follow your Father in heaven and do His purpose, which was to tell everybody about the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? What? That's part. You aligned with with God's will perfectly. He's going to give you everything you want. Okay, He's going to make it happen. And and I think it's I think it's happened for you. It's happening now for you. I have no idea what the future holds for you, but <laughs> but I think many many people are going to be reached by by what you teach and preach. Well, by golly, I hope so, Dave. Oh, I really do I because I, I really do, and and I, and I and I pray that it always stays that that I continue to to teach and preach the way I'm called to. You know what I mean. Even even if that earns me some some quote unquote enemies or right. gives me and a I caught your joke earlier. I, I'll take a check. It's, <laughs> it's okay. Gosh, Dave, you're showing your age, man. You're supposed to say Venmo. Oh yeah, I'm PayPal. sorry. Okay, PayPal. So, okay, okay, all right. Or crypto if you want to be really hip. Right. Here's where. <laughs> oh, let me let me finish reading these two verses. In verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Who who leaves an inheritance? Father leaves an inheritance to his Father. children. Always. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And every day, what does the Holy Spirit remind me? Beloved by God. And love your neighbor. You want to say love. that last verse there again? Because you you said a word that I thought was really interesting. Now the the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee is the guarantee. Guarantee. Yeah. I mean, we got guarantees here on earth all the time. You know, they don't really always pan out. That yeah. says guarantee yeah, from it, God. It's the Holy Spirit is the proof that that one day we will be redeemed from this life because the Holy Spirit reminds us every day that what we what our flesh is wanting us to do versus what the Spirit tells us to do. Now, here, here's where I want to key in on. Everything about predestination has to revolve around one theme, love. Because yes. that's what we read here in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. It, well, verse 5, verse 4 into verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. 
One of the things that is pivotal for the church to remember, and for all of those who have questions about predestination, is that God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there are going to be things that have happened in your life that are difficult for you to come to terms with, to cope with, things that are difficult for you to uh, to talk about or things that are difficult for you to think about because of the, you know these are things that were painful that happened to you. Why did God allow that to happen? I just spent the last 20 minutes with Dave explaining that to you. Right. And I don't mean that in a smart, like flippant way. What I'm saying is think back about what we've been talking about, about how that the love of God, the love of God has been revealed to us. And that love covers a multitude of sin and the bad things that have happened to us we are able to overcome them because the Holy Spirit is in us pushing us to, to conquer, to overcome those things. And we overcome those by knowing that He loves us and that through His love, through His mercy and grace. But God let this happen. I understand that. But God is also making this, and by this I mean what happens from here forward, making this happen. Think about the grace and the mercy He's shown you. And I know that there are many people today who are believers who are trapped in this prison of their past. They can't get by what has happened to them. I am telling you, yes, you can. Absolutely. You can. God, uh, yes, God knew it would happen. But in love, He predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son, that you might be justified and that you might be glorified, that you might be able to overcome that issue, that past, that pain. You never fully forget it, but you can say, I have beaten it because I am able now to not only talk about it, but to talk about how God has loved me through it. That is the key to predestination, to understand that God knows everything and everything happens according to his love. A child born to a father does not quote unquote choose the father, but accepts the role of father and child. Freely the child receives from the father and longs for the father's love. The father, and this is so important for people to hear, the father allows the child freedom to make decisions, even bad ones, and provides discipline and guidance in love. Now this is the other side of the predestination slash free will uh, discussion. Do you have free will to choose for yourself whether or not you come to Christ or is it already predetermined and you just do it when it's supposed to happen? Well, God knows. That's all I can say. God knows. And He's the but only one don't. that knows. But we don't. We don't. Right. Up until we die, yeah. we don't know whether we're truly saved or not. We really don't. Now, you can, you can come to that mm -hmm. as much of a realization of it as you can, by, by doing the Father's will and, mm -hmm. and following in the footsteps of Jesus, all those things. But, but you can never really know up until you die and find out. Here's the problem with mankind. We don't like to not be in control. We want to believe that if we put the right people in office, we want to believe that if we, if we make these certain decisions... Get the right yeah, job. Makes just yeah, so much money. I would be happy go, and everything would be perfect. It will all go according to my... My plan. <laughs> yes. My plan. Have you ever seen... You, <laughs> I always butcher the quote. Um, what is it about the the plans of mice and men mm -hmm. off often go astray? Often go astray. Yeah. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah forty six nine through ten. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, 
and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Revelation 1, verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, with those, those two verses tell us that God knows everything from beginning to end. You don't. I don't. When I experience the love of God, I am not just simply a robot that is following orders. I experience the love of God. When I tell my computer to open a file, I am not showing it my love. I am giving it a command and telling it to do something. Right. I am aware. I am alive. God breathed breath in me, and I experience life. I feel things. And when I experience his love, remember Jesus one time said, many of you who stand here today shall not taste of death till you see the Son of Man come in clouds of glory. Now, he wasn't meaning that there would be people who were there that day who would be alive at the time of Jesus' return. What he's saying is that there would be some who would be, there would be people who would be of like mind of these people who he was talking to who would be standing when he returns and they would fight against him. What he's saying to these people is, you're fighting against me now. You are fighting against me. And there will be people who will fight, literally fight against me when I return to the earth. But those of you who are standing here now, you're not going to know true judgment until you see me coming in clouds of glory when I do establish my kingdom on this earth. Now, because we know that that time is coming, that's why we try to persuade men now to, to see and to, to hear of his love. We don't know who is going to be born again and who isn't, but we know this. When I experienced his love, oh my goodness, there are not words adequate for me to explain to you the love and the oh, mercy no. and the grace of God. No, it was not no a way. command. It was an experience. Just like people experience regret for bad decisions. We experience this, I don't know how to even, what even, how to even say it, this, this joy, this, this glory that we experience when we feel oh, that's a good way of saying it. and yes. come to know the glory of God. Now, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There comes a point in the life of the believer where we stop getting angry about what has happened in the past, where we no longer use those things as an excuse for our bad behavior. Like a child, when, you're, when, 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 a, little, when a child is little and they don't get their way, what do they do? They, they throw a fit. Fuss and scream, carry on. They, they fuss and scream and carry on. Like most on. adults. Because they want things to go according to their plan. What they want. Does the father of that child cast them out of the house and say, I'm done with you? No. No, not at all. When you were a little boy, about 863 years ago, when you were a little boy, did you ever get mad because you didn't get something you wanted? <laughs> of course we all have. Yeah. But then there came a point when you realized 
that the reason your dad said no was because he knew something you didn't. He was teaching you a lesson. I'm not saying that he deprived you of something to, to just mess with you. I'm saying that the, dad, the father said, no, you can't do that. But I want to. No, you can't. Think about when you got older. You know, you're, you're in your teen years. And your father says to you, no, you can't do it. But my friends are all going. Oh, my goodness. Don't, didn't you hate it? <laughs> the whole world's going. But yeah, I, yeah. I need to if everybody to jumped off the bridge, did it. I don't care what they do in their home. This is what we do in ours. A lot of times, hear me, hear me out. A lot of times, the argument of predestination and free will. I don't get to make any decisions for myself. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like a child that gets to live in the home of his father and gets mad because he doesn't get to go out at 3 a.m. in the morning or the dad won't let him have the car for the weekend? And the idea of predestination, well, God knows everything, so why do I even need to try? Now, there are some denominations that even don't believe in evangelism. They're snotty and arrogant. And they say, God already knows who is and who isn't, and it's not up to me to be any part in that. Right. We're just supposed to wait until all of the elect gather together. And we'll I loved what you said them. before about uh, uh, one of the proofs of God's love is that if you receive God's love, you have to want to give that to somebody else. You can't hold it to yourself. No. It's not It's no. not a greedy kind of thing. No. Greed doesn't have anything to do with it. That needs to be spread out. It needs to be given away. There it is. And when people start giving it away, you know where it comes from. Here, here, let me this sum, person's connected to God. They're giving exactly. away God's love. And let me sum it all up here and we'll close out. Let me sum this up. Does God know everything? Yep, he sure does. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Not only does he know it, he orchestrated it. Think about a jewelry store. When you walk into a jewelry store, you see jewelry cases, glass cases, display cases that have either a dark navy blue or a black felt velvet looking backdrop on which all of the diamonds sit. Does the black backdrop and the lighting in the glass case, the glass case itself, did they just happen? Or did the jeweler intentionally set this case up with the black backdrop, the lighting, the diamond, for the purpose of people coming in and viewing it and seeing it and saying, wow, look at that diamond. It's beautiful. Where were the people? Where was the black backdrop when the diamond was being formed? When it was being pressed under intense pressure? And then where were they at when it was being chiseled away and cut and designed? They weren't there, but they were there to see it in the display case. Think about the Christian. You weren't there with me, Dave, when I went through my struggle. But he was. He allowed that pressure to happen so that he could make that diamond out of that lump of coal. Life out of death. Right. And then he takes that diamond and refines it, chisels it, designs it according to his purpose and his plan. Takes that diamond that he has now created or formed, places it in this display case with this black backdrop. Here's his story. 
But look at where he is. It shows the glory of the one who made him. And shines his light on it. Yep. Behold, my beloved son. Behold, look at it. My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we are called to be conformed to what? His image. His image. And what was his image? He didn't serve himself. He wasn't arrogant. He was a servant who loved everyone. Bingo. And how many Jesus knew everyone who would be saved and everyone who wouldn't? Tell me one time that Jesus ever calls out Judas. Now, now, no, I know what you're going to say. I know at the, at the table when he says, looks at Judas and says, that which you must do, go and do quickly. That's still not an accusation. But did not all of the Just disciples what look around do. and say, who is it? Is it me? Remember they all asked, is it me? Right. Is it me? Is it me? He knew who would and who wouldn't, but he never said that to us. Because it's not up to us to know. There are just some things we don't need to know. We are diamond rings that get placed in a display case. It is not up to us to figure every, to have everything figured out and know everything. We're we just, just supposed to, to reflect trust. His light and exactly. shine His glory. And this is what I mean for the believer. It is just enough to know He loves me. And if I know He loves me, then I know He's going to provide for me. And if He provides for me, He's going to take care of me. And if He takes care of me, it's not always going to be according to my plan. Sometimes things are going to happen in life that I don't want to have happen. But he allows them to happen. He ordained it to happen. And if he ordains it to happen, then he does so for a purpose. So that it can be worked out for good. Not just for my good, but for his glory and for the good of others. That's absolutely beautiful. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. And I'm not in the hands of the devil. I'm in the hand like I was before. And he promised me everything that he couldn't provide. But I'm now in the hand of a father who knows all things. Lucifer doesn't know all things. He knows way more than I ever will. And he knows way more than any of us will ever know. But he doesn't know all things. He was created too. And here we are. A created being. The prince of the power of the air. Trying to get other created beings to worship him and follow him. And he promises all sorts of good things that he never delivers on. But we have a Father in Heaven who will tell us point blank, I didn't even spare my own son. I willingly gave him up 